Hello and welcome back to the Handstand Cast with me, Emmett Lewis, and my glorious co-host, Mikhail Christiansen. How are things going, Mikhail? Glorious. Um, mm, yeah, how are things going? Uh, they are going same as yesterday, as the chef used to say on the cruise ship I worked on. Um, <clears throat> no, uh, not too bad. Yeah. Uh, still caffeinating. Waking up early morning podcast is very not early morning. What the hell is the time? It's not it's early morning. <laughs> it's <laughs> okay, it's still early noon. morning for me. Like I haven't actually had a significant amount of caffeine yet. Slept kind of bad, but uh, yeah, can't complain. Other than that, uh, been here in Ireland. I'm still sitting in front of Emmett in the same room. Uh, been in Ireland. I don't know how long have I been here. I don't know. Two weeks, three. Two weeks, three weeks, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, can't complain about that. Going to go to my hometown in a few days uh, where it's going to be glorious um, autumn colors just for a few days before I head back to Stockholm. So, yeah, nice. how about yourself? I don't know. It's just been, yeah, same shit every day, but different shit, but still mm. same. It's kind of, I'd like to say I've done something interesting over the last while, but we've just been fucking putting the grind in on some new work that will be announced soon enough, I suppose. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah. And walking the dog man. Walking the dog man. Yeah. Walking dog man every day. Every day he needs his walk. Every day he gets it. Every day he bites us. <laughs> he ate my origami paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own fault. But uh, he was basically in fiend mode as uh, as young dogs suddenly just get zoomies. And uh, I had left my paper. It was quite far in on the table. Too I think fair. it was hanging out. No, I, I remember I put. I think it was just like how you table. put your coffee on things. And then he just like snuck up and grabbed it and rest in pieces. It was only, luckily, uh, one-fourth of the large square I was making, but it was a bummer because I had to do the entire mega-boring process all over again. But then again, that's what I'm here to do. <clears throat> yeah, as everyone knows, who, when you have a young dog, basically, once it hits about 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, suddenly it is Zoom and crazy time, and our dog is not the exception. No, Jesus Christ. Like, it's I, just completely, like, a wholesome and calm and thing, like, 9.30, blitz out of your mind, bite things, bite things, destroy. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I'm, like, you know, I'm equal parts sad that he, like, ruined your hard work, but I'm kind of, it was very amusing when it happened. It's like, oh, shit, he's got it. I thought he had a scrap of paper, went yeah. to get it. I was like, oh, no, it's the full sheet. Yeah. Suck it, Mikhail. It's all crashed. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so we got through it, made another one. Now we are in the process of folding a T-Rex skeleton. So yeah. it's going to be lots of suffering by in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I look forward to seeing the end result of it. Mm. Now that I've seen... Me too. I just hope I can actually figure it out, or I think I can. And I wrote the Korean guy who is the designer, and he said I could ask him for advice if needed. And on the skull and figuring that out, that might actually need a bit of assistance to see what the fuck is what, because it's very difficult to yeah. to make out. But as usual, we have a theme, don't we? Now we are three minutes and 58 seconds into the thing, according to the box. And uh, yeah, we still haven't talked about yeah. handstands. We haven't even like, yeah, we haven't even done any conspiracies this week. Should probably do that. Anyway, our theme this week is uh, Joe Rogan. Bro Jogan. Bro Jogan and Alex Jones. No, our theme this week is Stolder Press and Low Pressing and stuff... W- based around that I suppose and uh, just talking about I know we've covered high pressing as we call it and we'll cover probably the link and the full thing the full shebang and a few training techniques a bit of insight everything else so first kind of thing I think is interesting just to uh, throw out there is Stalder Press is a weird movement because the name comes from a high bar move or an asymmetrics bar move where yeah. Stalder is like a swinging straddle up to handstand if I'm right and it's yeah. kind of got called you know the stalder press on the floor via that because it's the same kind yeah, of i motion wonder where that actually happened because i do know among others yuval ayalon he mentioned that yeah this like this was never actually called that from when he was doing gymnastics yeah. if i'm not sure i can quote him on it but i do seem to remember that in no, I remember saying, like i can remember when i was in circuit school it was called an endo press yes endo is also that endo is also a high bar roll. move isn't it yeah but that looks more <laughs> like a stalder press in that sense yeah so it's just kind of it's interesting it's just kind of one of those things i suppose a bit of a meme on these names and once again back to this whole 
do we actually have a set terminology for these things? Because I only remember, like, say, just normal press, a normal straddle press. Mm. Like, when I was learning to coach and also in circus school and other places, both the circus schools I was in, it was called an elephant press. Yes, I've heard of that. And I finally found the, the answer for why it was called that. Mm-hmm. Because elephants can't jump. Mm-hmm. So you're not allowed to jump in it. And that's mm. why it's called that. And maybe it was a kid's name. But uh, yeah, is- I've also heard people like use like if you. Yeah, yeah. Or like some I heard someone call like a basically a press to handstand with your hands together, yeah. like on the like, hand on hand kind of style that that was an elephant press, which would make sense since it's kind of a trunk. <laughs> this is one point. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the naming thing is, is quite interesting in that since in gymnastics, all of the moves, even en- like Endo is the name of a person, like the last yeah. name as they n- name things in, in gymnastics. And I would assume the same with Stalder, since it's like, it's not a word uh, that relates to a specific movement, like a pike yeah. uh, is like re- relating to a certain shape, but like a Stalder is more just like <clears throat> a move that, or like a name that got adapted uh, or like adopted. And I'm wondering if, actually if it's the internet that is responsible for this name kind of taking over i'm not sure yeah but it's like you see that a lot with gymnastics moves as well like the let's say a corbot so yeah. a corv like in circus everyone calls it a corvette like the car mm. but a corbot is like named after i think it's olga corbot who it's corbot if you don't know is from like standing backflip to a handstand into a swing on high bars but you can do it on hand to hand either from a handstand to standing like feet to hands or mm. feet to hands to hand to hand and it's just called that for, but then everyone goes because it's Corbett and then Cor changed the Corvette. So yeah. it's like, oh, I'm doing a Corvette. Yeah, I've seen the same happen with other like hand-to-hand moves as well, uh, where like the names are either Russian and so on, and then kind of the names get bastardized. I think Figa is a perfect yeah. example of that since, yeah, Figa in Russian means like it's kind of an insult. But then like it sounds, if, if you say it in a British accent, it sounds like the, the word for figure, figure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like I've also heard people write it like that F I G as a kind of a figure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, and since there is no kind of official naming of them, I assume that like it just does what um, uh, language does, and it just slowly evolves and develops in various ways. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like I see there's a lot in the flexibility world with the arguments over mobility and flexibility and mm. how it's actually defined and then mm. how it's actually used in a cultural context and mm. in different sort of subcultures in that zone. Mm. So it is kind of interesting because like uh, there's definitely been times when I've been to other gymnastic coaches or other gymnastic schools to either see what they're doing or just do a bit of training. And like, yeah, I go, oh, let's do some shoulders or some endo rolls or something. And mm. they're like, oh, what the fuck is that? Oh, we call it this. Mm. And it is like, yeah, even in gymnastics where they do have set names for the movements, a lot of the time the translation of like a preparatory movement, which might be part of the same family, like a Stalder press will be called something different because they haven't, <clears throat> they obviously know it's an important thing and similar to that move, but because it's not, you know, Stalder on bars, whatever. Mm. And then it's just like, oh, Stalder press. No, we call that an endo press. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of. Yeah. I remember the French guys in school, they used to call it endo. Um, yeah. Uh, and in, in, in French, press to handstand is mont en force, which is like mount by force, which I think is a really yeah. cool name for it because like basically Sums that's what you do. Yeah. yeah, Like you mount the handstand through power. Uh, yeah. And even, like regardless of how perfect your press is, you're basically just, you're not jumping, which means you're applying uh, like strength into the floor from your arms instead yeah. as you go up. It's kind of like the muscle thing. Like I see this, I think a bit from American gymnastics where they call moves that you do by strength muscle. This is where you get muscle up from, because muscle ah. up, like it's short for muscle uprise. Mm. Like basically like, you know, use strength to do an uprise, mm-hmm. whereas on rings, like an uprise is kind of a swinging yeah. swinging move yeah, with straight arms. Mm. So it's kind of, that's it. But everyone's called it muscle up, doesn't know it's missing a hyphen rise. Mm. So there's a your tidbit trivia for today. Mm. So. But yeah, but onto the, onto the press itself yeah. then, I mean, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, just 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 last last wording detail. I always called it a straddle L press because that's yeah. that's what it that's what like <laughs> it is kind of. You do a straddle L, which is like a very uh, quite quite defined term, and then you lift from there. Even and then, like L sit, like you know that even that term is not universal. Yeah, true. That's like it comes from American gymnastics when when circus school is like a pike sit. 
mm. and like other like British gymnastics pikes hit but then it's kind of terminologies evolve and other stuff change so yeah. it's kind of yeah it's just interesting it's just kind of I always find this kind of stuff interesting yeah yeah it definitely is and um but yes let us talk mechanics yeah. of how do you do the thing well you push hard and then you go up um thank you for listening to my podcast <laughs> so i suppose we work on a just on a fucking sorry i'm swearing here i shouldn't do that maybe i should i swear all the time emmet <laughs> don't make me hit the button okay we get on a side note we got a compliment that someone really liked the use of the sound pad so the sound pad will be coming back today <laughs> and i'm very happy to hear that anyway i suppose we should define a stalder press uh, just so people know what we're talking about so it is a press starting in a straddle l-sit with legs very nicely pointed and toes pointed and all these kind of pretty details and then you would you with muscular force and straight arms with no bending of elbows push yourself up into a handstand from that position passing through a straddle yes. that would be the classic stalder press yeah so i think that like it, it's kind of like um it's broken up into, a, or like at least as we define, it's broken up into a couple of zones in terms of like what is actually going on, both mechanically and how it feels. Yeah. Um, and I think like it, it is one of those movements that for many people is kind of mysterious or just like it, it feels incredibly impossible. And um, the funny thing is like whereas the, the standing press feels impossible for certain reasons like of course the the press from from a straddle L-sit or an L-sit like you just have a much longer range you need to travel and you need to you have like a different challenge in, in the bottom of it yeah and that makes it so that <laughs> both those factors make it so that it's like even f more people find it to just be like incredibly um, impossible looking or impossible to do and you basically have like the bottom part when you're sitting in in the straddle l-sit and of course you need to be very um comfortable there bef before you're going to lift i think that is like a that's a kind of a, a little bit of a classic thing i've seen it's like oh yeah i want to do it and then like they have maybe some strength in the other parts of the yeah. of press but like they they cannot hold a very 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 comfortable straddle l-sit and it's just like you 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 can't expect yourself to to lift from there unless you have a solid position and with solid position on this uh, what i primarily focus on is like how is your shoulder position uh and where where do your thighs uh or where are your thighs in relation to your elbow yeah. so when you're in a good straddle l sit where you have the ability to actually lift up you have like your shoulders are pretty depressed like your your lats are pretty much turned on and you will see kind of a rounded upper back and then the inner thighs are like close to the knees will be resting above the elbow joint and this is a very significant factor yeah um for um for being able to lift so if for example if you sit on the floor uh with and in a pancake position you have your hands in between your legs and you're going to lift into a straddle l there very slowly of course your 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 legs will start by your wrists and they will slide upwards so on your forearm and before they kind of reach that that uh, above elbow position and you of course need to lift your legs like strongly from the hip flexors and abs and so on but if you are in a position where the legs are low on the forearm because you can't stop there like if, if your shoulders are not like fully depressed like your your legs will stop on your lower on your forearm and if you're going to lift into a handstand the first thing you will need to do is keep that downwards pressure and you push and the first thing that happens is that your legs go to that kind of above elbow type of position yeah because that is actually the takeoff point for it because if they are lower you will basically need to just lean forwards extremely much and and literally enter a, like a low straddle plunge to be able to to get the 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 legs off of the elbows so like making sure that you're like have a strong kind of established position with yeah properly uh like the upper back being rounded and legs above the elbow is like crucial yeah i think it's one of those things you see this a lot because it's if you're kind of flexible and kind of strong it's quite easy to hold the wrong type of straddle l mm. for this where like you'll see this where people where the shoulders are elevated the back is almost straight and then the legs are kind of parallel to the ground. They're not yeah. pointing diagonally upwards. Mm. And you see this and like, it can be a bit of a false friend where you're like, oh, I can do this, but then I can't actually 
exert leverage to press myself forward. Yeah. And that's kind of traps people a lot because you can be, you know, I've seen people with like significant times, 30, 40, 50 seconds in these kind of holds. And like they have their own benefits to some degrees, but they're not the translation into the ability to press. Uh, Before we move on, I'd like to actually just talk about the zones of the pressing for the low section of the press, because we kind of, in our press program, in the manual, we talk about that there's four main kind of zones in the press, in the stall the press from the floor up to a handstand and then one transition zone. And in the Stalder press, which we'll get onto a bit later, there's kind of an interesting, what happens basically is there's two zones uh, before you get to the transition between the low press and the high press. And I define them as there's the point where the shoulders are going to travel forwards from your starting takeoff position. And basically your hips and shoulders, if we were to look at them, would replicate the tuck planche alignment or very close to it. Once you've reached this point, which will be dictated, the amount of forward lean you have here will be dictated, one, by flexibility, but also just the length of your arm. People with longer arms will have a more significant lean angle forward, just like in planche, just like in other stuff that involves a lean, than someone with shorter arms or someone who is shorter in height. Then once we reach this point of maximum forward lean, then the arms will start to, as the hips will go, basically we think the hips are starting like, say around your wrist or lower forearm. Then they will, as you go forward, they will lean and you will articulate the hips up in line with the shoulders or close to it. Once they've reached that point, the shoulders will need to travel back towards the hands while the hips are coming up and the legs are coming back towards the heel of the hands. Mm. So these are our kind of two zones and they kind of have slightly, they bring a slightly different focus to the training that you could either do in separate stages or you could do in you know one exercise that will cover both. But for a lot of people, understanding these zones and figuring where you're weak will be helpful. Yeah. So it's kind of one of the things like in our programming, like Bodo's kind of program the same way for this is like having a okay tuck planche is a very useful thing for this starting strength and the ability to go from like an mm-hmm. L-sitch to a tuck planche. Yeah. I think you've demonstrated this on your Instagram quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, I have a bunch of videos on, on, on showing then, showing that connection. Yeah, it's impressed as well where Mika's doing just an L-sitch, like the, first, the very first zone, an L-sitch to a kind of, L-sit, press with the hips hiked, and then just bending his knees into a tuck planche and showing, okay, here's an L-sit, here's a tuck planche. Nothing changes at the shoulders and hips, mm. just the legs go from straight to bent. Yeah, and yeah, like as, as, as the hips kind of get, go to shoulder shoulder height, that is where like you are literally in a tuck planche. It's just that either your your legs are straight and you are in a in a stall like in a stalder in a mid kind of a stalder position, or you are in tuck planche. So the amount the amount of lean is very similar it feels like a tiny tiny bit different but not much like it's yeah. very it's very similar in the feeling particularly in the, in the upper body and like the, the tuck planche is just a very it's very indicative of your starting ability to to do any of this stuff and like most of the time uh, and i also check this with a couple of like hand balance for friends that i know is just like um people that I know can else it press and just like, okay, can can you tuck planche? And it just shows itself that yes, they can. It's not a problem to hold that. They can't, of course, extend much further because like it's exponentially harder once you straddle planche, but, but they are easily able to tuck planche uh, <clears throat> simply as a result of having worked on their else to handstand. One friend of mine uh, from Vald, uh, Suneva, basically, she she worked a lot on presses before, and she hasn't worked a lot on presses the last couple of years, but she can still do it, and she can still tuck planche, even though she has probably barely ever trained um, a tuck planche. So for her, the carryover came from just loads and loads of work on the actual pressing. But I think for most people, you have uh, quite a lot of lot to gain from the from working on the on the tuck planche because it, it's it's a thing that like everyone will need if you want to go up like. Uh, this, the straddle L itself, just like the one thing I want to mention on that before we kind of travel upwards in the <laughs> press, is uh, uh, which is the part which is more kind of optional and a bit, bit depending on your body because it's flexibility related. And that is like uh, how high you're able to get in your in your um, straddle L. Like, because you, 
you do have like the mega high straddle L where people basically put their arms up in their armpits, kind of on yeah. like very often they set it up on a bit of bent arms, then they straighten the arms and then they lift. I call this kind of a, a cheat press in a sense because you're, you're getting you're, you're getting through the tuck planche part without um, uh, without having to tuck planche it at all. Yeah. And <clears throat> very often, I, I know many that can get up if they are allowed to set up in that kind of mega high straddle thing before they press. But if you ask them to, for example, start in a lower L-sit or like lower straddle L, or on the other hand, do handstand lower down and go back up, they 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 cannot uh, do it simply because like they are circumventing this kind of hard stage. Yeah. But people that are that flexible, when they do a kind of quote unquote proper straddle L again, like thighs touching uh, the top of the elbow, very often what you will see, and which is a very kind of beneficial thing, is that you'll see that the legs start pointing upwards. Yeah. So the so the straddle L is no longer like parallelish with the floor, but like you can see kind of a significant upwards angle on some people, and that offers you a very uh, beneficial leverage as you're starting to push because as you're starting to push then with your with your legs on a diagonal your feet and your your calves and so on will start traveling downwards basically giving you effectively giving you a swing which allows you to bring the hips up more um quicker yeah and that is like one of the parts where like high high levels of flexibility is super useful for for stalders, it, it's basically the same kind of swing that you can use from an L-sit. From an L-sit, it's accessible for most people to do L-sit, rock a bit forwards to bring the weight front, and then use that momentum to pull backwards. Yeah, It's essentially the same, but since in a straddle L you are locked on your arms, you're, you're basically not able to utilize that type of, of movement unless you are just mega flexible. Yeah. And like for me, I've never been able to do that to any significant degree whatsoever. Since like I have a decent pancake, uh, I can go flat. I can go like yeah, over. Yeah, pancake is pretty good. Yeah. yeah, pancake is pretty all right. But you need to be like you need to have some really far like uh, really well developed pancake for that this to be kind of uh, kind of a significant portion of your actual yeah. solder press. I think that one's kind of interesting because it's definitely one like it's one I would advise to people when they're learning if they're flexible and prescribe that kind of technique to kind of get some success but it's kind of interesting what happens in that if we look at the kind of mechanics of it because my arm my legs are essentially making a pivot point against the arms up high mm. you're basically using the weight of the legs the count cantilever yeah. the hips up as they go down and then by the time you've gone through the tuck planche kind of ish section then the you basically don't have to do that section you're already into zone two yeah and then you can obviously have it's a different i want to say a different type of strength but it's a, a different pushing vector mm. it's kind of just yeah speaking of the pushing vector it's one of the things that with the with the tuck planche there's essentially two ways of doing tuck planche now there's one where the goal is to maximize the lean now everyone thinks they're leaning but if you're quite strong, you can do the tuck planche via a lot of depression strength and downward force into the ground. And that's kind of what is happening in the stalder because we're not, we are leaning forward. As I said, there's a point of maximum lean, but the goal is to actually exert force down straight into the hand. Mm. And it's one of the things that, that stops people in tuck planche. People might have a very strong tuck planche using this technique, but then have just hit a hard wall basically by transitioning to a closed hip straddle or one of these kind of straddle variations mm. so that's one of the things just to watch out for that there is these two kind of flavors of tuck planche it's still a tuck planche but there's a slightly different yeah flavor to it yeah i'd, I'd say that like if you're tuck planching to to go forwards into harder planche variations like the further front you go in planche the more angle your arm has and like to some degree, at least, you will feel more kind of chest activation in that type of planching. Not necessarily if you have like that mega hollow, you're not like chesting it that much, but you will feel like your pecs doing at least something. Whereas in a, a, in a tuck planche that <clears throat> relates more to kind of stalder and like lifting your ass upwards, you're not really getting much uh, like significant tension into kind of your, your pec muscles. Yeah. So 
like what you want to think in that type of tuck planche. You, you, you're still compressing hard. Like you're trying to be small in this type of planche because yeah. you're trying to be small in, in a press. Whereas like in a in a actual planche, you're trying to, to lengthen yourself to the degree that you can. And then like it puts like like increasingly more pressure into the biceps and stuff. Whereas for like what we're looking for, we're looking for like a good crunch from the kind of the abdominal section to keep the, the knees tight, like pressure from the arms. You'll feel the kind of the, the front of your delts, but the intention is to is to lift the sternum and, and subsequently the hips so that like the the pressure starts transferring from, or the, how to say, not the pressure, but the the perceived effort of the pressure, at least, will start transferring from the front of your delts into more your trapezius region. Yeah. Um, because, of course, your traps, everything is working at the same time, but, like, you will, <clears throat> if, if you're basically, you can say it like this, if, if, if you can do both an Arnold press and a, a Stalder press thing, and you basically max rep on a standing press, you will start feeling that yes, your delts will be tired, but your traps will start getting pretty fried. While if you do like, uh, for example, L-sit to kind of like, you press the L-sit into kind of a standing position and, and you don't continue all the way into a handstand and you just rep this out, you're going to feel your delts being much more kind of fried than your actual traps because you're you're working in from from arm is by your side kind of depressed until the arm is almost overhead, but you haven't really entered into that kind of fully flexed position where the, where the trapezius are working very hard. Um, so, so there is like a definitive um, difference in, in the sensation of where you're actually working the hardest at least yeah definitely i think uh just back to the pancake thing i think the flexibility on the stolder press is a very interesting thing because obviously it has to do with length of legs and stuff to be able to pass hands but it's kind of one of those things like i remember say when we were doing the retreat in turkey a couple of years ago remember i don't know day five of the retreat Mikhail came in it's kind of fatigued from training first thing in the morning, which let's face it, isn't Mikhail's optimal time for training. <laughs> and I'd seen you hadn't warmed up. It hadn't warmed up your flexibility. And you know, when you come in, you were, your pancake was like, you had about a 45 degree lean or 60 degree lean. Mm. Like it wasn't- It wasn't amazing. <laughs> it wasn't flat or it wasn't like anywhere near what Mikhail can do once he's warmed up. I was just like, okay, Mikhail, can you stall there from this position? And you could yeah, yeah. immediately, you could just wrap it out. And that was, you know, one, it's kind of this thing of like, Mikhail, if you look at his flexibility pattern, has an incredibly close matching of his active flexibility to his passive flexibility. Mm. Whereas a lot of other people might not have as close a matching. So when- yeah, This you, is basically how I get around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's just kind of, it's interesting that like, oh, even with like this, what would be considered if you, if like if you speak to other coaches and go, what do you need? Oh, you need a flat pancake that would make it easier. It's like, clearly there was no flat pancake. It was just not happening at that time of the morning. Yeah, no like we were only up like 30, 40 minutes at this stage. Yet you could still do it because there was such a close match between your hip and flexibility and extension strength. Mm. And this is one of the things I always think about Stalder Press is it's building a certain amount of resources in the body that if you can, you need to sort of have, it's like a Venn diagram that you need flexibility, you need active strength in the flexibility, active flexibility and the ability to hold your legs in position. And you need strength of the upper back. Yeah. And you need a certain, you need to basically fill the bucket with mm. these kind of resources. So you could fill them with like, I have a lot of strength that fills 50% of my bucket. I mm. have 25% flexibility and I have 25% active flexibility. Okay, that gives you a stall there. Or this it could be- a very good video game, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, analogy to yeah. to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was kind of, you know, I've been thinking about Settlers of Catan as a way of explaining this and the thing. It's like, you need, like everyone who plays Settlers of Catan, you need resources, which you mine via rolling dice. Uh, then you get resources, and then you're able to build things on your go but you don't always get the resources at the same time. So you might end up with an excess of one thing, but you still need something else. You have too much wood, but you have no clay for those who play Catan, mm -hmm. so you can't build any roads. Yeah. But eventually like you get some clay and then you're able to build a road and this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So then it's it's interesting because it's, you know, it's flexibility is always good and having a good range of motion and a nice pancake is good. But if your active matches closer, then you can get away with it getting having less strength yeah. and the more flexibility you have to a certain degree means you need less strength because you'll be less resistance against yourself. Mm. And it is kind of, 
one of the things that you can look at is like if your pancake is better, then as you kind of press, you're able to keep the legs on the other side of the pivot point of the hands. That means you'll have this kind of swing we were talking about in the, the cheat press. Mm. Uh, we should come up with a cooler name with that. It should yeah. like I think we should, we should find out who'd done it first and then name it after them. <laughs> or we could name it after like... Probably 3,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we should call it the Millinger after Stephanie Millinger because when she'd done those 500 presses or something like in a row. 380 something crazy. Yeah. Nice. I think in honour of her, we can call it the Millinger press because she used that style of press during it. Yeah. So, yeah, so you got your Millinger press, which is not a fake press, this is a different type of press. And uh, then you can do that. But when you can keep the legs, you still have this kind of effect going on by able to keep the legs on the other side of the pivot point, you have less mass coming onto the straddle planche side of it. Because you see this with, say, the more calisthenic athletes or the very strong gymnasts who have very good planche skills, where their stalder press will basically before the hips have started to go above the shoulder line, the legs are almost like true yeah. into a kind of wide straddle and they've widened the legs out. Mm. And generally it's just like they have an excess of strength. So then it's very easy. Yeah, but, that. yeah. And then what I coach people to do a lot when they're learning stalder, if they have good flexibility is your legs start in a pancake, say they're 140 degrees apart. And what happens is you want to, as you're, I tell people to get their leg hair in contact with their arm hair as they're doing the press. Mm -hmm. So the it's touching at all points. So as you come through, then you narrow the legs to keep this contact going. And try this out if you're just learning stalder and having problems getting it, because it means less mass, more mass will stay on the side of the hands on the pivot point. So you'll have some sort of counterbalance going on. And then when you cross into the from the second zone into the transition between low and high press, then you're basically I'm telling Cueing a lot of people to end up in the takeoff position with the feet that you would if you're doing a press from the floor. So I generally cue people when big toes in line with little fingers are just outside that zone. And that means the hips will also be the highest. Now this requires more compression strength and obviously compression strength is my thing because I teach flexibility. So this kind of gets you through it. But then the other way of doing that is just like, you know, closed hip straddle planche essentially, mm. which was basically what you defaulted to when I gave you the challenge to press when you were not warmed up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I've always done it. I've never done the narrowing of the legs. I know a yeah. lot of people that do it and I've seen that like both in acro gymnastics and all kinds of places. So I think it's a good good option. For, for me, what always has just has been the most uh, intuitive thing to do is just I push down, I pull the legs towards my body and I keep opening the, the legs. Yeah, uh, but you can also see. I was thinking about. I saw yesterday some Ukrainian girl, probably she can't be more than maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen, maybe. Um, I was like mega beast acro gymnastics, uh, yeah. doing like yeah, can probably one arm press for repetitions, easy game, and just like she does, a, does a stalder press, and she has this omega flexibility. So the straddle L has like the legs are super high as she starts. The legs are pointing upwards. She drives. She she pushes downwards. The hips travel up, and when she she can straddle so widely that 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 kind of the the pancake kind of opening from about when the arms or that when the feet start passing the arms out to kind of her straddle, yeah. it's so wide that like she literally ends up in that like super duper split yeah. with the legs, so that like she can basically like the there is almost no way to have less lean forwards in the shoulders at any <laughs> given point in the press than she does yeah uh, also she's a child so like the proportions in terms of head weight versus hip head weight is also pretty beneficial um, yeah. but yeah it's just like um to put it like this if she does a normal handstand and open a normal handstand opens her leg to a wide straddle and then keeps pancaking that straddle it's so flexible that the legs stay basically uh, entirely on the side of her body, even yeah. kind of in, in a wide pancake. So it's, it's of course, uh, entirely unreasonable for most people to expect to get to that level yeah. in terms of only the flexibility. But I think it's a good, um, yeah, like you said, fill, like you, you, you need to fill the bucket to 100% and whatever you put in there um, will count. And I think it's interesting also what you said with... Uh, the planche athletes and i keep thinking about this one friend friend of mine from from norway named isaac who is just a monster at planche and at like calisthenic strength in general um really fucking solid you should check him out on instagram i'll will link the thing to his thing and um, 
but he he basically when he does like an LC press to handstand or a stalder press he leans significantly more than I do he's he's more flexible than me for sure he is uh so but the thing is like he has a he has like a he can do like chair splits no problem yeah. like uh, he has a video where he plays guitar in like a full split on chairs <laughs> he has a great pancake all of that but the thing is he has so much power in the front of his shoulders so for his body at this current stage it's just more effective for him to go front and use where he has the most power yeah and what is what i been thinking about in in relation to this is because if we compare that press to this the Ukrainian girl I was talking about, she um, like I would say that her um, absolute efficiency to coin that term yeah. is higher because if like the de facto energy that is used is is lower uh, in relation to body weight and so on because of the ridiculous angles that she can pass through than than this guy Isaac can. Um, but the relative efficiency uh, for each individual is uh, like is uh, relating to them. So for him, his it, this is effective for what he has, yeah. and this I think is is very important when when we look at these things. And the further you get into like really, really, really advanced stuff, uh, like you you will need to to kind of go for your relative efficiency i think to a higher degree because you might not be able to expect that your body can move in the exact uh, ways that someone else and but you might have just like a slight variation i've been thinking a lot on that on on myself in terms of like for example one arm pressing which is uh, like at the limit of my capacity i do a couple of things when i do that which i see that other people don't do or they do things that i don't do and so on and it's just like my body needs to solve the problem and if i cannot solve it in the exact way the other person can like i i need to bend my arm at a certain point where someone else might keep it straight and so on um and i think this has to do with this this idea of the relative efficiency what i have at this point in time uh requires me to do a certain pattern whereas you could say that then this like the ideal form would use less energy but then again if if you cannot access that form by any means at the current point in time should you then just stop doing it or find a way to solve it so yeah. i mean there is a bit of a give and take there and if you relate this back to the stalder like one thing that someone might do is start bending their arms for example at a certain angle yeah which is something in like these types of presses is something that we in general uh, recommend not doing because of the particular pattern that we're trying to replicate with with this straight arm strength relating to the actual handstand work and so on yeah. uh, but yes again just just these two two ideas of like the absolute efficiency the optimal way of doing a movement versus like the optimal way to do the movement for you at this point in time yeah yeah it's definitely like it's kind of like once again like with form breakdown and other stuff like non-perfect form Perfect form only happens when you fill the bucket completely, mm. and that takes a while. So if your bucket is 95% full, then your form will break down in some way, shape, or form. Mm. And some way your form will break down in some way, shape, or form. Anyway, uh, what was I? Damn it, I had a point there that I want to go back to. <laughs> you made a good one. Oh, yeah, so the adaptation of form. One of the things you see a lot with generally haven't seen it so much with guys but i see a lot with women and i used to kind of coach kids as well and one of the things they would do is use the back so in we always go we have the spine in a kind of mild flexion if we think about it in our start position and then we're going up to a roughly straight ish you know maybe a bit of flexion still remains for hollow in our hands up but then you see this form a lot with kids where they go through the legs past the hands and then they articulate the back into extension yeah kind of so arching yeah arch there, the right? back and yeah. that's basically it's kind of interesting adaptation of form because if you look at one one of two things is happening there well two things are happening one the mass of the hips is getting closer to the pivot point so there's more more weight stacked vertically but then the other thing what's happening is you're reducing the length of the back sometimes quite significantly so the, the mm. leverage you'd have in the horizontal distance of the back has been reduced by 15 20 percent mm. and that means they're just able to access their strength a bit more 
And it's kind of a classic one. You see that a lot with children. Yeah, like children, all, like yeah. All, all those small girls that can't handstand, but they can just rep out stallers. Yeah. As they pass their hands, they just like, they put the butt over, zoop, and then they their legs fly up quickly. Yeah. And then like either they start walking or fall over or just go back down to straddle out yeah. and do, you do it again. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's, you know, it's not textbook form, but I always like, it's always that interesting, like here's a problem, solve it. And they're clearly strong. They clearly got good strong backs and other stuff. So then it's like, okay, well, I'll just use my flexibility to pull me up into this movement. So mm. it is kind of an interesting way. And I kind of adapted this cue as well of trying to get people to like put their sacrum on their head as mm. a way of cueing it. Mm. And that could be an interesting way of like, if you're making contact points in the body or trying to look for zones you can hone in on, or like that goes to overhead and then just let the legs do what they want. Mm. Obviously, it's going to be different for everyone, and maybe we're all not like four-year-old girl gymnasts who <laughs> can do a whole hundred stolders, but it is kind of interesting. Yeah, like one thing I was also thinking about, like just going back to these zones we were talking about, like, okay, so you have a straddle L, you push out a straddle L, you enter into kind of a planchy zone, and then you want to travel from that planche zone into something that looks like a handstand. And that is like a hard part for many to crack because it's like, yeah. okay, the, the, the touch, tuck planche itself, at least like, like you can work on the strength for a tuck planche, even as a com like complete noodle. If you grab a couple of chairs, you sit in a tuck L, tuck L sit basically, yeah. and you push down as hard as you can and you try to bring your hip up. You are at least working on that type of action but the kind of the, the part above the the, um, the tuck planche is kind of tricky and which is where also the 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 planche style push and the press style push starts uh, being different and this yeah. this would like you said that the legs stay on the other side of the arm is very significant at this point because if you go into a tuck planche and you want to lift yourself from the tuck planche and to handstand you can do that by simply like you, you push down, but at the same time, you kind of push forwards. And yeah. the feeling of doing that kind of tuck planche press is like if you grab a heavy dumbbell and you just do kind of a forwards kind of straight arm lift to above your head. What's that called again? Front raise. Yeah, front like raise. Like it, it feels like that. It fe You feel like your, your delts, you feel your biceps like quite a lot when you do that type of, of press uh, with a dumbbell. And it's very similar with a, with a tuck planche because your hips are still far away from your from your shoulders and like the shoulders need to pass pass um, back towards where your hands are and the, the hips need to travel upwards. And since there's nothing counterweighting you on the other side, like your hips, there's basically just one trajectory your hips can can travel through and it's very, very little you can do to, to shorten that trajectory compared to when the legs are still on the other side of the hand as in an L-sit or and is in a, in a straddle L. So when you do that part if from a L-sit or straddle L, you will feel that you've quicker transition into sort of more kind of a trapeziosy feeling as you as you pass upwards um and this zone is very significant and kind of tricky to work on and like one of the main things that we do for this is like either basically um one of the main hacks as well for the <laughs> for the the staller press i i despise the, the word hacks in terms of these things but here you literally have one that is just working from an l sit instead of a straddle l yeah because it allows you a little bit of that rocking forwards sensation i was talking about you don't need to be mega monstrously flexible to access this yeah it's very it's kind of it's as close to kind of conventional strength training as you can do in handstands almost where you just again you grab a couple of chairs or a couple of boxes or some parallel bars you go in an l sit you rock a little bit forwards you push as hard as you can downwards and you try to bring your hips as high up as you can and yeah. you basically work on this for reps like ideally you want to be able to land behind your hands on the same surface as your hands are on that might be unrealistic at first so there are several steps of progression in terms of that but this helps you to get into that zone uh, easier because you you're allowing yourself not, you're not using a massive swing but you're rocking a bit so when your hips travel travel backwards you can go through this kind of lower zone with a bit of speed and you end up being able to apply force higher up in the range yeah and this is super useful to kind of just get the sensation of where you're trying to travel get some force production in there um and you're kind of you're starting to build that kind of middle range and the tricky part of passing your hands you're starting to build that from the bottom yeah um yeah that's kind of that's one of the main sides i suppose in our press program 
It's kind of interesting, actually. The way I, yeah, the very first way I learned to build strength for the Stolder Press was a. Uh, from a coach in Belfast Circus Community, Belfast Community Circus called Hillis, who's one of the acrobatic coaches there. And he was teaching me this way, just on chairs, chairs or on bars, whatever. But his way was like, okay, you're gonna do an L-sit, swing towards a V-sit, and then drop down, use the momentum to kind of push through. Kind of mm-hmm. like a, it was almost like a push press version of what you're saying. So you're building momentum. And then as you get stronger, it was like, okay, now you're gonna press to a V-sit or like into a, like, depending on what your flexibility allows a V or kind of altered straddle L and then press higher mm. and just build the strength and the eccentrics. Yeah. And that way it's kind of fun to try if you have some space because it can give you, it can give like like a push press, it can have some transference to your actual press because it gets you through the harder zone mm. and it begins to show you the trajectory you should be pushing. And then obviously you can reduce momentum as a way of progressing. Yeah. Um, the other thing with the L-sip press, what I like about them is that you can, build the upper back strength and the torso strength needed while you're working on your flexibility and getting your flexibility filling your bucket so you're filling your bucket in three different ways active Mm -hmm. flexibility general range of motion and this at the same time you're training and then eventually it kind of comes together and that's what i kind of one of the things i find what i always find interesting about like stalder presses versus say a standing press a standing press like the first time most people do a standing press it's going to be ugly it's just going to be like legs yeah. will bend, feet will do weird things, you'll shake, weird stuff will happen. By the time someone's got to a stalder press, the point they can do it, the first repetition of a stalder press is normally very good. It's very yeah. rare that you'll see it because like you built the press, you've got that section, that half of it done by this stage, hopefully. And then by the time you've got to the ability, you've filled the resources, basically. You've, you're able to build your city in Catan. You've got your stone, you've got your brick, you've got your wood. <laughs> and then you're able to just like, you have everything there ready to go. Mm. And that's kind of one of the interesting things like, you know, obviously we talk about adaptations of form and everything, but it's still generally, if you follow the path, we kind of lay out. I see it with your students as well. Like when they stole the press, it's mm. generally the first stole the press they get is generally pretty good. Yeah, I've like seen many yeah. people who are like, it's at least not terrible. Uh, yeah. I think it's also like, at least like if you have a very strong standing press, which I think is the kind of... Yeah. It's, it's not like necessarily entirely necessary to begin working on it, but by the time you're able to complete a Staller press or at least in yeah. the vicinity, your standing press is probably there for reps, which means yeah. that like if you just get enough drive through this bottom part to get on top of the shoulders uh, and you just have enough energy to complete it, like it's it's usually not as bad as it might um, seem for like the, the first reps for sure. Yeah. Stephanie, I'd kind of like to talk a bit more about other exercises we use just to kind of wrap up the cast because I think yes. we use some interesting ones. So obviously we both use the L. Now the straddle L press is kind of interesting because you can use it for building the, or not straddle L, the L-sit press through the hands. So obviously depending on your flexibility levels, you can use it for L-sit to tuck planche. So you can either press or set up in the outset, bend the knees and then press into the tuck planche. Mm. You can keep the legs straight, press the hips up and behind the shoulder and then bend the knees to a tuck planche. So you can do it in two different ways to the tuck planche. Mm. Then you can also just keep the legs straight. And what I like about this one is you can very easily measure progress. So if you have an adjustable surface that you can raise and lower, obviously going lower to the floor will make it harder because you have to compress more, but, and you have to press up higher. The other way of doing it is to basically, uh, put you like blocks or stackable mats. So every time you go in, you're doing say three or five reps in your sets and you're gonna go up to two mats and then we can do five reps, you'll put an extra mat. Mm. And the other thing that's nice about this is you can you can begin to cheat a little by bending the legs and then straighten the legs out and do a full eccentric. So you're mm. getting a kind of the eccentric grooving of the movement while also compensating for your lack of strength on the concentric by not lifting as high. Yeah, yeah. The the thing that I like a lot is just basically L sit, and then you you use a bit of rock. You drive through as hard as you can, and you do it either on parallel bars or in a couple of chairs or blocks. Uh, and as you reach the kind of like the, the top point of where you're able to go with straight legs, you can, for example, like bend your legs and try to get them on top of of the boxes, bars, or chairs or whatever you're on. So you're basically trying to sneak yourself to get the legs on the same surface as your hands are on. Uh, 
And in the beginning, that like it, it might look a bit more just like a swing, and that's what you kind of want to avoid. You just want to make sure you're working hard and in the kind of push. But you lift, you start bending the legs to get them on top of the bars. You then, af after you landed, you straighten the legs, you lean forwards into kind of a the part of a, or the lowest part of a regular press, and then you negative down to the L sit from yeah. there. Since that kind of it gives your body also the idea of where you're trying to go. You're trying to go on top of these bars, and over. Over time, your hips will go higher. So you need to bend your legs less. You need to swing less, and in the end, you end up doing L sit and basically pushing yourself all the way into kind of a straight arm, straight leg hover. And that is kind of the the key stage to be able to to master, to be able to yeah, to make it through that that middle section. And and an interesting part with this as well is that you'll you'll see we've mentioned this many times on the cast but like you'll see monster beasts on their hands like hand like pro hand balancers yeah. who can't do l l sit to standing press at all uh, but they're killers on their hands and then you'll just find some like random calisthenics trained person who's just done a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of tuck plunge and they can very easily go from l sit to standing press but they can't press the rest of the way or even do a standing press yeah while these hand balancers can rep out standing presses for days, but can't do the lower part. So there is there is kind of little carryover in between these two significant zones of the low and high press. And that's yeah. basically like the shoulder work is entirely different. Uh, and most of the time, like I remember particularly one guy I was working with who he couldn't standing press, he had a decent handstand, but couldn't standing press at all. But L to standing was perfect. It was flawless. He had a yeah. good L sit, but he just had a very good strat, like a tuck planche. But, uh, and he was just like a strong upper body. So the, the bottom part can be said to a large degree for many people to just be like a matter of some upper body muscle and strength. Yeah. Uh, unless you just have these like very good leverage in terms of your flexibility but it can be quite easily solved in terms of just building a bit of of strength and like everything in terms of pull-ups and dips and tuck planche and push-ups and stuff will net you more for that press than it will for any kind of like actual vertical handstanding ability yeah definitely there's definitely a very strong yeah if we look at like calisthenic guys just who are super strong not as technically trained or not as technique focused as you might be in the circus world or gymnastic world but a lot of them like you can see them wrapping out 10 15 stalders sometimes mm. and you're just like okay well you can just do it via that kind of planchy technique yeah. so it is kind of an interesting note one of the things uh, the last exercise i talked about is the range of motion press yes best one this is uh is useful so as you know hopefully by the time you have got towards working towards a stalder obviously you can work at the same time Hopefully you should be able to do some standing presses. Uh, one of the ways we find to train this zone, the mysterious transition point between the high press and low press is the range of motion press. And what a range of motion press is, is a press where you're increasing the range of motion of the pressing. So you go down, your hands go to your, your feet go to your, towards your hands, and then you start letting the toes go past the wrists as the start. And this is kind of nice because you can increment this quite nicely. It's like, okay, I normally tell people to use yoga blocks here where they'll put some blocks either side of the hands to control the depth. So when I've lowered down, I'll touch, you know, I'll go two centimeters past the hands, then touch and then press back up. Okay, I can do a few reps there. Okay, I'll go five centimeters. And this kind of way will train that transition from this kind of protraction and elevation strength to protraction and depression. Yeah, yeah, or, it's, it's a huge one. Yeah, and that's kind of... Yeah, it's kind of very interesting because it's kind of it's accessible once you can press and then at the same time like it's kind of interesting just for watching people who are very good at pressing a lot of time they can build this up quite easily but then they don't have the resources for mm -hmm. zone two one and yeah. two of the low press mm -hmm. so then it just goes down it's very controlled to about the fingers when the feet get in line with the fingers or the lateral malleolus are in line with the fingers then all the strength goes and they just kind of fall into it yeah so it's kind of but training this is quite a a useful thing to do yeah i think one of the main, main things you know about this part is also that like uh, unless you can do it on an elevated surface uh don't bother working it on the floor yet because you'll need to compress significantly more you need to you'll need to be both strong enough in the shoulders to support a very very low leg position uh with very little lean um uh to do to do this on the floor compared to doing it on blocks and stuff 
uh, because I like the lower you go with the legs, the more like your your shoulders might compensate for this. And yeah, make, making sure that you can just do it on a couple of blocks where you are allowed to to dip a little bit further um, can be useful. Uh, and then as you get better at it, then you then you work it on the floor. And just as a general note to people wanting to to do straddle out like the, the the press on the floor, just like make sure you're really good on bars first or on yeah. blocks or whatever. Just make sure you have a couple of reps, then you will actually find that it'll be significantly easier to do it on, on the ground, just as a result of, again, being very good at the press uh, and like just your body knowing it well. And again, like the press that Emma talked about that I would do uh, without any warm up and with barely any pancake ability at all. I like on floor or, or on blocks, it, it doesn't make any difference for me because I'm able to, to like my shoulder articulation is good through the entire movement. And like the, the shoulder depression and, and protraction part in where I need to, to lift the legs high in the bottom is so well developed that it's, it's easy for me to pass. But if it's not easy for you to pass, make sure that you just, develop a good press first and then like look upon the floor version as a result of that same with the l-sit press too no like unless you're monstrously flexible no point working on l-sit press on floor unless you can do at least three on bars i would say yeah um but, but generally there's also progressions on bars that people don't really know about or use mm. where like the l-sit press on to be like when i get people starting to do l-sit presses on floor generally like we'll be doing l-sit presses to handstand on uh, parallel bars or a raised surface, you'll put a stick behind your hands and then you'll basically use the stick as a guide for the compression that if you hit the stick, obviously you're not compressing enough. Mm. And then you'll move the stick close to the heel of hands till eventually you put it in the bend of the wrist on the other side. So you generally have to put it there or figure out a way to get someone to put it on for you. And then when you can compress and do go through that, generally you're good to actually start doing it on the floor. Mm. So that's kind of a nice way of sort of measuring progress. Like I'll start like the stick is 15 centimeters from my hand. I'll move it in 10 centimeters. Okay, press there mm. all the way till it's eventually resting on the wrist. And then it's like, okay, you have obtained God tier <laughs> compression. Yeah. You'll be able to probably make a good attempt at this on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, just, just a little finishing up about the, the range of motion press. Like there are several people I've taught uh, the full staller by mainly focusing on the range of motion part. Because again, if you have a little bit of, if you have a little decent straddle L, you have a little bit of tuck plant strength, you have some flexibility, you can kind of either by a little bit of rocking or a little bit of whatever you can like, you can drive your hips very far up. Uh, but like you can't pass the hand stage by basically focusing on handstand lowering as far as you can and back up and having like focus on that like middle part you can make sure that like just develop the strength that is needed there so when you reach that point you have something to work with and i remember very clearly a girl i worked with in when i worked in the uh, circus school in copenhagen she got it and we were basically just working lowering down press back up or lowering down press back up in the classes and i was occasionally doing like l2 standing with her as like finishing conditioning uh for some of the classes and within a couple of months she like I mean, she'll obviously she's in circus school very very highly um talented body and so on she's like a hand balancer but she was lacking this part um and we just worked a lot on this and like i remember very clearly the 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 day she cracked it she was doing it on this um they had these like dumbbells that were like, you know, these like basically just a solid uh, uh, cylindrical blocks that used to be screwed onto a dumbbell. And we would <laughs> always like, they, they were on the floor unscrewed and she would always just do it on those. And I really, I remember the day where like, I, I was spotting her, lowering her down and she went really deep uh, in the, on the, in the straddle or towards straddle L. And like, I was about to kind of spot her and like give her a little bit of help up, but just, she just drove through it very easily. I was like, okay think you're gonna rest two minutes and then i think you're going to just try to do it and she was like quite hyped and then she went for it and by the by the point she came into that zone you saw she struggled but there was more than enough energy left so she just like completed the press so it's a, it's a very useful tool um again i think if for anyone working on the stalder like it is a very it's very body specific it's something that'll take some people a ridiculous amount of time so it's it's just important to have modest expectations when working on it because yeah. there's a lot of things going into it. And as Emmett eloquently said, you'll need to, to fill your bucket with various things. And yeah. for some people, you might need to leverage certain of those elements more than others. Um, 
depending on yourself, but like neglecting any of them will probably just make the journey for you hard or harder for you. Yeah, definitely. There's always that kind of thing of like, also, you know, if we imagine blank template human 101 comes in and has very little strength, very little flexibility, very little active control of the flexibility, then you can kind of fill all the buckets thing, but then human two comes in and they have loads of strength then understanding, okay, I don't need as much flexibility if I can use more of my strength. Yeah. That's basically it. So it's always kind of an assessment of yourself and what your own proclivities are and how you can adapt the technique and the goals to that. Yeah, it's basically yeah. like, like in the various ways you can play Fallout. You can just have heroic strength and just go and like punch everyone in the head. Or you can have a heroic charisma and just fool everyone. So that is... Uh, <laughs> you can charisma is... your way to <laughs> Stolder. <laughs> yeah, I think I, we will wrap it up there. Yes. There's a lot in Stolder. But I have to hit the sound pad button once because it has been requested. And hopefully I get the right button. <laughs> Why do you make me do this? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you make me do this? <laughs> uh, anyway, you guys have a good week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Cheers. The Handstand Cast is brought to you by Handstand Factory and is produced by Motion Impulse. Thanks for tuning in. You can find a full transcript of each episode, along with the show notes and any relevant references on handstandfactory.com slash podcast. Thanks to Isaac for editing and Jordan for transcriptions. Music by Daniel Horwath. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com or consider starting one of our Handstand Factory online programs. Links are in the show notes. <laughs>